Sorry. There is uh, this amazing story in the Gospel of John, uh, in John, I think it's chapter 5, where Jesus uh, goes to this crowd of people and they're all uh, disabled or have handicaps or they're sick and dying and they're, they're all in this place because they think in this place they're, they would be able to get healed. And he goes up to one beggar, one uh, paralyzed man in particular, and asks them questions. And I am just like so captivated by Jesus's questions. The questions Jesus has asked, I, just, I, think about them, I think about them a lot. And he says, do you want to be healed? This guy who's been like sitting by this, uh, sitting by this pool, uh, hoping to get healed for decades, he asks him, do, do, you want, do you want to be healed? And the funny thing is about the guy is he doesn't get mad at Jesus. He doesn't, or he doesn't say like, well, yeah, of course. Like, I've been sitting here for 35 years. I want to get better. Instead, he starts like falling over himself to explain all the reasons why he can't. Explain like, well, I can't because I, other people get, get better before me and blah, 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 blah. And he, he just, he completely doesn't even really answer the question. He doesn't say yes, please. <laughs> he, he goes on to explain like all the reasons, practical reasons why he can't uh, experience that healing. And I, I wonder if that is true for a lot of us. Uh, where we have Jesus through his word saying, like, do, you, do you want to be healed? Like, do you, would you like a different situation? Would you like to, a different life experience? Um, and, you know, do, do we say, yes, please, and submit to it? Or do we say, well, I can't because of my marriage. Or I work over here, my commute's too long. Or you see, you know, the kid that you gave me or whatever. Um, it, and I guess the question is, like, what if... What if I told you that Scripture just has a really clear way to change, to be transformed into the fullness of Jesus? And, and instead, it's just the, the question, uh, will we do it? Will we conform our lives to what the Bible says and let God change us according to the way that he has ordained to change us uh, that we see in Scripture? That's kind of the, the idea behind our fall teaching series on how to become like Jesus uh, in your bulletin there, uh, there's some like bonus content that's in there every week uh, for this fall. Uh, and you see there at the top, that's kind of our map for this fall. All the different teachings, the sermons will be on each one of the components in this uh, triangle uh, picture here. And there's teaching, uh, which is what this is, obviously all founded on scripture and Bible study and reading it and meditating and memorizing and all that stuff and podcasts and books and theology and all that stuff. Uh, there's community. Uh, which is uh, we can't become like Jesus unless we're like connected to his body, uh, unless we, we are part of the, the local church. Uh, and, uh, and then the Holy Spirit is kind of like uh, the power of all this. You know, all these things are kind of like, you can think of them like engines uh, or different components of an engine, but like without the gas, without the fuel, it's not, we're not going to go anywhere. And then today we're talking about practices uh, down there in the bottom, um, what, the, what are the practices, the things that we do um, to, to become like Jesus? Uh, one of the key concepts uh, for this becoming like Jesus through practices uh, is the definition of practices or definition of spiritual disciplines. Um, it's there in the, in the key concepts page. I think it's on the other side, the next page. But it's disciplines or practices. The definition of them uh, is that they are activities within our power, that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. So there are things that we can do by direct effort that build up over time to enable us to accomplish things that we cannot do by direct effort. Like an example would be the piano. Like almost no humans, maybe a few prodigies, like one in a million, could sit down 
just like with no experience and just play the piano by trying really hard. You know, I mean, they could touch the keys and stuff, but like to actually be able to play. Uh, like by direct effort, you know, almost none of us could play the, I'm pretty sure none of us could play the piano uh, just by trying. Uh, but through practice, through discipline and going to lessons and, and all that stuff over time, we could become the kind of people that can play the, the piano. Like almost any of us could, if we really wanted to, we could, to some degree, we, you know, we might not all become concert pianists, but we could do that. So the, the activity of practicing the piano or learning scales or learning to read music, all those things, that, those are things we can, we can do with, uh, in our own power uh, that then enable us to accomplish uh, what we cannot do, like play the piano by, uh, by direct effort. I'm so captivated by this idea of, of disciplines in this way. And the main idea for us today is that uh, practice uh, or spiritual disciplines are, are how our desires and our bodily actions line up. That spiritual disciplines or practice is how our desires, like what we want deep inside, and our bodily actions line up. This is something that we cannot do uh, by direct effort. Like we can't make our bodily actions and our desires uh, line up. Uh, do you guys want to maybe grab the doors if you're close to a door? Uh, it sounds like there's a, some unknown kid struggling down there. AKA my son. Uh, the, classic, the classic example of this is the Apostle Paul himself. He says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am. This idea of aligning what we want to do and what we do actually do uh, is, is something that the practices uh, make a place for. And to place it in the teachings of Jesus, a huge chunk of the Sermon on the Mount uh, is this idea of wholeness. You know, he, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, then you, won't, you don't get the kingdom. You, you won't go and get in the kingdom of heaven because the scribes, their hearts, their desires were messed up, but they had this like iron will to like actually do the behavior. And then he goes on that, those, that, that whole series of like, it's, if you just, because you don't murder, if you're angry in your heart, you still sinned. And so the goal is not just to murder, the goal is to have a heart that has no anger in it at all. So our actions of like avoiding murder line up with the fact that we're actually not angry. And this is a, a distinctly uh, a contrasting view of the human person uh, from what secular humanity or secular understanding of humanity would be, which is that we're logical, rational creatures. So if we just have the information, if we just know how bad it is, then we won't do it, which is just absurd that that's still out there because how, does that work for anybody? Like, you know, if I know that, hey, you know, uh, pornography causes uh, brain damage and it like messes up my ability to relate and it devastates my wife, I will just not do it anymore. Boom, that was easy. Why didn't you, t- why didn't you say so? That's just not, not how it works. Why can't we stop even when we want to? Why can't we do something even when we, when we know why we should? Well, it's because of sin dwelling in our bodies. When we repent and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, uh, what, what happens there, the Bible tells us, is that we're made new. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're regenerated. Uh, we have a new heart. The old heart is taken out. The new heart is put in, put in place. We're made right with God. Uh, but then we still have these sinful habits. We have these ways of living contrary to God that have been ingrained kind of in our bodies, Paul says, uh, for decades. Because for however long it was uh, before we really started following Jesus. 
You can think of it like uh, life being hacking through a jungle. Like you've, you've hacked a trail uh, according to what seemed right to you through the jungle of life. And then you get a new heart and a new, new, uh, new life, new desires when we get saved. And now you're like, I can't stay on this trail. This trail is like well, sinful. This trail is what was right to me. And so then you like turn to make a new trail or to follow a different trail. And it's full of thorns and brambles and all this stuff. And so it's hard. There's this up way. Even though you desire to not be on that trail, uh, the, the, the habits are still there in your body. If you flip over uh, to on your, in your bulletin, uh, there's another chart there, the circle chart. Call that the heart-body loop, where there's the heart on the top and the bottom, uh, and then bodies on the bottom. It says that the heart and the desires, the longings inside of us, they affect what we do with their bodies. But then also what we do with our bodies, the things we do, have a huge impact on our hearts and what we actually desire. James K. Smith says it like this, the things we do, do things to us. The things we do, do things to us. Last spring, I signed up for a 10K and went for my first run. You know, it was like February. And I got that like razor throat thing when the cold air and like cotton mouth and you know, it was like dry heaving. It was like, it was a mess. But I just, I had a training plan and I just did it. I just like, when it said run, go for a run, I did. And I went the distance and I, I, didn't, I didn't think, I just did the training plan. But after a few weeks, though, even though the run, runs got longer, I began to like really desire that time, just being outside and fresh cold air and all that stuff, the, the endorphins that come from running. Based, my desires changed based on the bodily discipline of actually going for a run. Because here's the scary reality. This is, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I see that this is true. We do what we want. Period. Like we do what we want. And so if you want to do different things, we need to change our desires. And at first it might be like hacking through a jungle or going for a run after not having run your whole life or whatever. But eventually the desires change. We cannot change our desires by direct effort, but there are things we can do by direct effort. It means settling in to the long but certain work of training to be like Jesus. We have promises that we will become like Jesus, that he will complete the work. And the bad habits, the sinful patterns of living that we have in our body, uh, even though we've been made new by the Spirit, uh, now begins something that over the endurance race of following Jesus, uh, that the Bible uh, describes it, it begin to be changed as we seek to submit them under, to our, our new hearts, our new desires. So our sermon text this morning is just kind of the classic go-to text for training to be like Jesus. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9 if you're not all, all, already there. Uh, it shows us some key things about spiritual disciplines uh, when it comes to becoming like Jesus. And I'm kind of using spiritual disciplines and practices interchangeably here. I think practices might be a little more helpful because it's a little more broad and it, and it has a little maybe less cultural baggage. But for the sake of our time together this morning, uh, I'm going to use the word spiritual disciplines. But on our chart, on our map of becoming like Jesus, we're, we're talking about practices here. The three things we're going to see in this passage are spiritual disciplines, they have a goal. Spiritual disciplines require strict training, and spiritual disciplines depend on your body. Let's dive in. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 25. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes 
into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and these folks, they would have been super familiar with athletics because there was the, I can never say this word, Isthmian Games. Uh, we're just going to move past that. It was like the second biggest like competition next to the Olympic Games, and it took place on the Isthmus Isle uh, Peninsula where, where Corinth was. And so this would have been kind of like, you know, just like Paul talking about NFL or something like that. It just would have been very like popular all over and, you know, all the different trainings and regimens of these different athletes would have been really, really common. Uh, and so athletes would compete and, you know, of course there was like a celebration of, of the, the, painful, uh, the, the painful work that they did. And, and Paul is making a really obvious point is that the people that join the games want to win. People who are doing all this training, they want, they're doing it for a reason. They're not like uh, lifting weights just for kicks and giggles. There's, there's a, uh, a goal. The training they do is strict, but it's not because they like the training necessarily. They're doing it to get a crown. Our desired goal, the, the rewards, as uh, this passage talks about, the crown, always informs our, our habits or our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines. Like one of the, this explains the enigma, I don't know if you've had this happen to you, where you see someone you went to high school with who was just a total goofball, like late to class, didn't get good grades, didn't try, and then you like check back in, you're like, you're a brain surgeon now? Like you're a lawyer now? Like what, like what happened? Like you could barely show up to school on time, and now you're like cutting people's heads open uh, for a lot of money or something. Well, the, the answer there is that his desires changed. Where in high school, his desires might have been just to goof off and have fun and sleep in. Somewhere along the line, something changed to where now he wanted, he, he wanted to make money or he wanted to be respectable or whatever it is. It, and that desire overtook it. And so now all of a sudden, it's possible to be on time. Now all of a sudden, it's maybe even easy to study and work really hard because his desires are fueling that. So disciplines are fueled by the goal we desire. Whenever we talk about it, super crucial to, to ground spiritual disciplines in desires because they, they are a means to an end. Like they're, 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 they're never like the point. They're always meant to get us to a goal. If that seems like obvious or something, I, I'm trying to address kind of the maybe some of the church baggage where like the disciplines themselves were, you know, were the point where self-denial for self-denial's sake or like pain for pain's sake. Or they're just like desire is bad, so we have to to repress it, which honestly is more secular than it is spiritual. Uh, that says that desires are good, that like the main commandment is to love God and love others, whereas the secular way is like, no, repress your desires. Or like Buddhism, like, you know, be detached and have no desires. Desires are good, and pain is only good to the extent that it serves something greater than itself. So we're not talking about like monks that would like whip themselves or something like that. We're talking about athletes that want to win so bad. It was really funny to read that uh, the victor's crown that's talked about here in the passage was uh, uh, it was like a wreath that they put on their head that was out of woven, withered celery branches or leaves or something like that. And so it's just funny. I think Paul's being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here because they, they, these athletes are training so hard uh, to, get, to get this withered celery and Christians were anticipating an eternal reward of like becoming like Jesus and being united with him. And what the commentator said, if these athletes push themselves to the limit in training to win that pathetic crown of withered vegetables, how much more should we maintain self-disciplines for the sake of an imperishable crown? 
We talked about that last week with Tom Brady and his insane lifestyle to win Super Bowls. We do the spiritual disciplines not for their own sake, but to become like Jesus, which is to say, in the words of Jesus, means the house of our life stands the test of, of storms. It isn't wobbly and falling apart when hard times comes, which is to say that, that we have rest for our soul. That's what it means to become more and more like Jesus and commune with our good Father. This should cause us to ask the question, what do I want? What, what is my desired goal? Like, what is my desired outcome? And that might be hard to answer, so we could ask questions, and I would encourage you to uh, do the discipline of silence and solitude this week with a journal and ask, ask yourself, based on what I talk about the most, what is it that I desire? What's my main goal? Based on my checking account, what's my desired goal or crown? And if I was really honest with, myself, honest with myself, do I want to become like Jesus? Is that really my heart's desire? Because if we don't want to become like Jesus, say we just really want church people to think we're holy, then the spiritual disciplines will probably do more harm than good. If you're like reading your Bible a lot and trying to drop it in a conversation so people think you're awesome or whatever, you're going to get really bitter and probably uh, do more damage to your soul. That would be like training, training for the games, training for a marathon when you're not actually going to run or you're actually going to swim. You're like, you, you ran all this time, but the race is actually to swim. It just doesn't make sense. Get to our second point, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The, the second point is that the spiritual disciplines require strict training or strictness. That's the word in our, in our NIV translation here, and uh, I'm kind of rolling with it because I don't know how you respond to it, but I don't like it at all. The word uh, literally in, in the Greek means self-control, which is controlling yourself, and you know, that, that's what the ESV says. It says athletes will exercise self-control. There's this strictness, this limit on ourselves, which is, again, like completely contrary to uh, the good news of our culture, which is like, don't have any limits. You can be limitless and do whatever you want. But the Bible's teaching on self-control is really, really profound and nuanced. Because on the one hand, it is something that you can do. You can control yourself, maybe in small amounts at first, but you, you, you can do it yourself. Like that, There's an element of our direct effort in it and getting better at it. Uh, but then it's also described as a, a fruit of the Spirit, these miraculous qualities that mark Jesus' followers that, that show that people who follow Jesus are filled with the Spirit. They, they have a supernatural level of self-control. Hey, Johnny. There is, there is power beyond the Jesus follower that enables them to be self-controlled. So it's kind of both end. Like there's very much uh, our participation in it, uh, but then there's also uh, a supernatural helper that we have. Self-control uh, means that they're controlling uh, their desires, or maybe it'd be more helpful to say that they're rightly ordering their desires. If you're thinking of they being the athletes, they have a desire to win. And so they're putting all their other desires, like to sleep in or to eat junk food or stay up late or whatever, they're, they're putting those desires underneath their main desire with their self-control. 
It's self-control is not about repressing desires. It's a matter of aligning your everything you do with the highest with your highest desire. It's the ability to recognize and choose the most important thing is self-control. In the business world, they say they, they talk about the tyranny of the urgent, where just because it's in your face or someone's like asking for something, you go and do it, even though it's not the most important thing, and you let some really important ball drop. Or in another example, there are some days where there's a part of me that would really like to just blow up an eight-corner pizza from Jets, with Turbo Crust, of course. But my desire for pizza, now, by the grace of God, not at all points in my life, is, uh, is submitted to a stronger desire to not feel terrible or weigh 300 pounds. Self-control is, is not, not what our secular friends would call it, which is like it's the will versus the desires, the will versus the feelings. No, it's a matter of the will saying, like, this is what we really desire and submitting, uh, submitting the other ones to that. This is a much more freeing way to go through life than just trying to, like, always try to wrangle your, your desires. One book I read described it like uh, riding an elephant, you know, like if you're just like always trying to get the elephant to go where it doesn't want to go, like that little man on top of the huge element, elephant is going to lose. I said we submit our desires, the urgent, in-the-moment in desires to our greater, established, deeper desires. When it comes to desires, it's important to remember that sometimes uh, our deepest desire is not the strongest desire we feel. That might be semantics, but like you don't have to feel guilty if like in the moment you have a super strong desire for some egregious sin you know that is egregious sin, uh, when you can recognize that my deepest desire is to obey, is to be holy, is to uh, follow Jesus. Look at verse 26. We see another aspect of strict training. Paul says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Part of the self-control, this uh, strict training idea involves focus. That there's just no way to become like Jesus casually, you know, with like lots of different things that we focus on at different times. Paul says, I don't just jog any which way. Like I'm running the race to win. I don't just box the air for show to show people my jabs or whatever. Like, I'm boxing to land a punch and get something done. Strictly focusing on the one goal, the, the one desire. This, all this points that the strict training idea reemphasizes one of our key concepts uh, that you'll see there in your bulletin, uh, which is that we don't try to become like Jesus, we train to become like Jesus. We don't try to become like Jesus. We train uh, systematically with great focus and strict training uh, to become like Jesus. I always giggle when I see like science and psychology finally catching up with what the Bible has said for you know millennia. Uh, but it is. It, it, science is catching up with this idea of self-control is being like a muscle that needs to be developed. It's something that needs to be trained. And it, and it gets stronger and weaker based on how you use it. So the more we're training to become like Jesus, the more we exercise it, the stronger it will become. As opposed to maybe if we were just like, no, if we had really good information on how to bench press in the right form, and then we go to try to bench 300 pounds, uh, most of us probably wouldn't be able to do that. But instead, if we view it like the desire to bench 300 pounds, we then enter into training where we just do the bar and then five pounds and and we cross-train and all that stuff. 
The strict training uh, with focus or training to become like Jesus shows us that being self-controlled isn't like having red hair or brown hair. Like you're just born with it. You got self-controlled people and then you got willy-nilly people. Like that's just not true. Instead, it's something that can be developed over time. It can be developed over time to the extent where like running a mile could either be like, you know, the like cotton mouth dry heaving thing I described, or it could just be like your light warm up run before you do like an Ironman triathlon based on the same exercise, like based on how, how we've trained. So self-control and avoiding sin, pursuing Jesus and the spiritual disciplines that draws closer to him, they can become easier and easier the more we do it. And this is good news to us. Like, you, we don't have to feel guilty or ashamed if we just keep tripping up on the same things or we struggle with self-control in an area. We just start using it in little, little ways. It doesn't mean you're not saved necessarily. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It just that there's a call to train to become like Jesus, to, to exercise self-control and strict training. This also brings us into another spiritual discipline, uh, which is one of uh, simplicity. Because the muscle metaphor for self-control uh, is actually like, pretty, pretty helpful and like, nuanced. Because even the strongest man in the world who's been training for years to pull a bus can only pull that bus so far before his huge muscles get tired. Like, they're, like it's infinite. At a certain point, no matter how much you train your self-control, like you, you work it out. Like if there's no virtue and like if you struggle with something to just like fill your, your perspective with like temptations and struggles or, or whatever. This means that the, the more you have to use your willpower, uh, the, the, the weaker it, it will get in a, over a period of time. And the spiritual discipline of simplicity is in part kind of what the writer of Hebrews says, where like we cast off all hindrances, anything that would cause us to stumble. So we don't have to exercise self-control in stupid things. Sometimes if I'm on uh, the, the keto diet and Camille isn't, there will be a dessert that I don't eat. And if it's just sitting on the counter and I have to say no, every time I go into the kitchen or multiple times like while I'm making dinner or something like that, it's just annoying. Like it's, it gets exhausting. But if I put it in the pantry, then like... You know, it's fine. She can get it when she needs it. Spiritually, there's, there's great benefits for this when we, we look at, like, resisting sin to the point of shedding blood, as Hebrews 12 goes on to say. Like, if you struggle with pornography, like, why in the world would we, like, keep it around us, keep, keep ourselves having access to it? Like, every time we pull out our phone or check Instagram, we have to, like, try not to, like, just move our fingers a couple inches to find it. Like, that's, that's exhausting and foolish, uh, and, and just makes it more, more complicated. What would it be like to get rid of the internet or whatever it is? And that might sound like, what? You have to have the internet. You have to have a smartphone. You have to have these things. And that's kind of like the man besides the pool in John 5. Like, well, yeah, I want to get better. Yeah, I want to kick pornography, but I have to have a phone because how else am I going to deposit checks in my bank account? It's like, I think there's a way if you really want it. To become like Jesus requires strict training. And the crown is not withered, withered celery, but it's, it's the life, the actual spirit of God fully having his way with us, living life to the full with Jesus. This does not mean that we're earning it. The very desire to become like Jesus is a gift. That's part of the gifts of salvation is that we get a new heart that now desires the things of God. Apart from the grace of God, uh, no one desires God. No one is good. 
But the desire is one of the strongest evidences. The desire that would push us out into good works, James says, is one of the strongest evidences of a faith that will actually save us. And this brings up another one of our key concepts for this series, is that grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning anything from God, but is not opposed to effort, clearly from Paul's words here. The last thing we see about the spiritual disciplines in this text is that they depend on our body. Look at verse 27. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, there's some pretty ugly kind of loaded words in this passage, beating bodies and slaves and stuff, but let's unpack it for a minute. First off, when Paul is referring to slaves, he's not referring to the slavery that we think of, where it was like kidnap people against their will and force them into slavery based on their skin color. Uh, Back in Paul's day, uh, it was just an economic reality that was largely voluntary. Like people would voluntarily uh, become a bondservant or a slave to a master because they wanted a job and a a place to sleep and food and food to eat. It was better to, to be a slave and have a job and food in a, in a bed uh, you know, than to be free and be a beggar. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying that's what Paul is, is talking about. And then secondly, this beating, beating of the body, again, is not celebrating pain. Because he's talking about wanting the prize in this passage. I beat my body making my slaves so that I'm not disqualified, so that I get the prize, so that I run to win. That's not the point of pain. I'm not saying we should like whip ourselves. It means that self-control, the willingness to put our bodies through difficult things for the goal is what Paul is getting at. And the main thing I want us to see here is that spiritual disciplines involve the body. Not only, but they depend on and deeply involve our physical flesh and blood bodies. Like these things aren't an accident. They're not like a race car that our souls come down into and speed around. Just we hope to fly away someday to glory. But our bodies are actually the focal point of where we actually, as people, interact with God. I think Christians in recent past, we haven't really done justice to the reality that God himself, the Almighty, has ordained to give us bodies. That he says, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And and then we can think of them as just an inconvenience. Or just something that we get to do whatever we want with. You know, like, I just get to abuse my body with food and drink or whatever until I get sick and then I'll ask the church to pray for my health problems. But having a body, and this would be like a whole sermon series worth probably, is God's design for us and is how we will spend eternity in resurrected, redeemed bodies. There's a little temporary window there after we die where we're disembodied, but like the ultimate goal, like by far the biggest stretch of our existence Uh, as Christians, will be as embodied people in the presence of God. So it's good to value your body. It's a gift from God. It's a grace given you to steward. And it's also one of the primary resources that we have in the pursuit of becoming like Jesus. When Paul says, uh, I I make my body my slave, he's talking about that aligning of like, my body does what I want it to do. Like, I am the master of my body. My, my, my desires, what I want it to do, my body does. Like, just imagine if you had a healthy, smart, capable, quick-to-learn person that just follows you around every second of the day to do anything that you wanted it to do. Like, how much stuff would you get done? Like, a ton. 
And Paul's, ta- Paul's talking about the resource it would be to have that kind of scenario is the same resource that when our bodies, uh, our behave- bodily behavior aligns with our desires, we can get incredible stuff done, uh, both like literally in the world, but also we can make incredible progress to becoming like Jesus. So if you have a desire to become like Jesus, looking back at our heart-body loop there in your bulletin, even though that, that starting at the top, that desire to become like Jesus is not pure. You know, we, we have anxiety, as Camille talked about. We have fears. We have other desires for, you know, other things. Um, but when we start to involve our body through bodily practices, we'll, we'll begin to see our heart grow more and more and more to want Jesus and become like him. And the cool thing is, is that it feeds itself. Like one feeds the other, which feeds the other. The more our hearts become like Jesus, the more we want to do the thing, Jesus-y things with our bodies and, and, and on and on and on. Just like if you uh, started to uh, read scripture every day, like you're going to see your desire to read scripture grow and grow and grow. Or if you develop the practice of watching Netflix for two hours every night and eating ice cream, you'll see your desire or inability to stop that grow and grow and grow. And while this might be scary or or maybe convicting, this is like, I hope you can hear the good news of this. Like the incredible power that's available to us through these bodies that God himself gave us. That we have access to a spiritual power far beyond anything that we have on our own. And that's the definition of spiritual disciplines. They're activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do without direct effort. This is, this is freeing, that we don't have to try to be like Jesus. We don't go out in direct effort to just say, like, tomorrow, through direct effort, I'm going to not worry about my life. That's a pretty clear command from Jesus. I'm going to try. Tomorrow, I'm going to go out and not lust. I'm just going to try not to lust. But we can't do that by direct effort. But what are the practices or disciplines that might address some of those issues? I think a helpful way to think about spiritual disciplines is that they're, they're like a, a medicine cabinet. They're, they're like this, this, this whole collection of resources that we can use. And so if we, uh, by, the, you know, by the sweetness of God's convicting Holy Spirit, we see something wrong in our hearts that we don't like, that we want that's sick. We can, we can go uh, really to all different parts of our uh, triangle uh, chart there, but we can go to the, the cabinet, the medicine cabinet of spiritual disciplines and say, which of these tried and true tested practices of God's people might be able to begin to address this, this issue in my heart? So maybe like with anxiety, like I, I struggle with anxiety, what would, be, what would be some of the practices that I could put together, like a little concoction that I could take uh, to help with my, sick, my anxiety sickness. Or the first and foremost thing would be put the reality that God is our loving, generous Father before our minds, regularly throughout our days. Uh, a loving Father who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all. That, that would bring some of the practices of scripture meditation, scripture reading, uh, studying who God is and what he's like, how to live the way of Jesus, we could take inventory of our life. This would be kind of silence and solitude. We could be still and be like, what are the things that seem to trigger my anxiety? What are the things in my life that make it hard to obey Jesus when he says, don't worry about my life? And we might see that like, oh, money stresses me out. So I need to simplify. I have too much stuff and money's too tight. Or, I, you know, the news makes me sad every night and I keep watching it every night and I can't do anything about any of it. Like, why do I keep doing this? And we can kind of cut stuff out. 
You see there uh, right below uh, the, the definition of practices and disciplines. It says key spiritual disciplines there. You can kind of view, there's, there's not like a finite list, you know, there's not like these are the 20 disciplines, period. There's all kinds of different ones, and you can kind of tweak them uh, in different ways. Uh, one definition is like anything we see Jesus doing in the Gospels, you know, is, a, is practicing Jesus' way of life and stuff like that. But there are kind of like, uh, I think there's like 10 or so here, but there's probably like 7, yeah, 7 to 10, 7 to 12 that are just kind of like key, tried and true, tested ones that we see in Jesus' life and throughout the saints uh, of church history. Uh, the, and it's just an overview. Silence and solitude, um, that's, the, that's one of the key ones. A lot of people argue that's the foundational one uh, because you can't hide from yourself or God when you're just still. You know, whatever anxieties, whatever fears, whatever like lust, whatever comes is in you is going to bubble to the surface when we just are silent and alone uh, before God and his Holy Spirit. Which in prayer is another very clear one that naturally arises out of that. Like it's hard to pray if you have monkey mind all the time. It's hard to pray if you, you can't be still and silent alone. Scripture meditation, letting it get deep into us. Service, community, uh, living life in community, simple living. Uh, Sabbath, 24 hours a week uh, where we, we, we do nothing but rest and worship. Uh, confession, what Camille uh, did earlier, uh, just... Uh, embracing where we need help and where we need the Holy Spirit. Fasting, that's really great for any sins of commission. You know, if you like struggle with overdoing it in an area, fasting, uh, even though it's, it's not necessarily that thing like food, uh, fasting from food uh, actually has great fruit in that. Uh, celebration, uh, learning how to throw a good party. Don't even get me started on some of those parties that are commanded by God in the Old Testament. Like they were better than anything that we've ever done. Uh, God likes to party, uh, compliments fasting. Uh, and then and obviously study. Uh, and again, that's not like a finite list or whatever. I just wanted to put some of these out there. It's like resources to you, resources to you. If there's something in your soul that feels sick uh, and you've just been like trying to fix it by direct effort, like consider training with one of these, one of these disciplines. I hope you see that it would require strict training. Like think about the like hundreds of things it would take to have 24 hours where you could like turn your phone off and just be present to God and others like in, in real life and enjoy things. It would require a lot. It's gonna, it would require strict training in our schedules and our habits to make time for us, make time for it. And when we seek to address parts of our soul, just kind of like Camille did publicly confessing the struggle with anxiety, we, we don't do it alone. Like one of the most helpful things is when a group of people is actually trying to follow Jesus and we can come to each other in, in vulnerability and, and humility and say like, I'm struggling with this. Like, what do you guys think would help? You know, I'm, uh, do you think this is a good idea or, or what about this? And we, we all become part, part of God's work and redeeming work in each other's life as we help people problem solve and kind of come up with uh, practices that can help and hold each other accountable to those practices and uh, preach grace when we fail in those practices and admonish when we're just, you know, kind of, uh, doing it halfway, all those different things uh, are crucial. But all this is grace. None of this is to get God to like us more or to earn anything. This is a way that after having been given the keys to the kingdom by the, the sweet grace of the blood of Jesus, this is how we walk into the kingdom, into life with God under his rule. God saves us because he loves us literally to death and he wants us to experience life with him. Let me pray.